Stella made a beat, so it's go time. to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside 3ND Live, GBB Live, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. With me is none other than Nate than the Chess Pass, Chester. Nate, what up? Not much, man. How are you doing? I mean, I can't really complain. I know the Heat are down 3-1 right now. Uh, that's kind of a, a hit for the brand. But then again, everything's all gravy at this point. I Look, man, Tyler Hero is going to be an SAE superstar in the NBA for years to come. So they're, the Heat's final run may be about to end in failure. But Hero is going to be around for a long time, man. The frat boys will rise. Yeah, and also, too, nobody expected them to be here. Heck, I, I I, came into the season, I said, look, this is probably like the third best team in the East, let's be real. I didn't expect them to make the finals. No, of course not. And, and honestly, they probably wouldn't have done it under normal circumstances. I would assume the format played a little bit of a role in how far they went. We'll never really know for certain about that. But you know what's pleased me the most about watching this Miami Heat team, Parker? What is that? Yeah, as you know, you and I are both already very much on the uh, Duncan Robinson to Memphis train. Memphis will run on Duncan. I'm not taking that from you. That's all you right there. Okay, that's very – and I liked it. That was very, very Memphis intelligent. Memphis run on Duncan. Yep. Yeah, yeah. but um, I watched Duncan Robinson and how Spolster uses him in the Miami's offense, and you see him curling off ball screens, and you'll see Dwight Howard and Contavious Caldwell-Pope both stepping up off the screen to try to deny him the ball coming off those ball screens. What do we call that, Parker? We call that gravity. Gravity. Can we imagine that level of gravity with John Morant in Memphis for years to come? It's delectable. <laughs> the the gravity you speak of is really crazy because I'm like watching him throughout these finals and throughout these playoffs. He's having to be face guarded most of the time. They're literally attached him at all times going over on the handoffs and trying to disrupt his shot, make sure he doesn't get it off because of how quick his release is and how good he is on the move when it comes to shooting threes on the move. And that opens up space, like you said, for Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, uh, Tyler Hero, now who's kind of emerged a little shot creator in the bubble. And you, you wonder like what that looks like with John Moran. But one thing that he's done quite a bit – this uh, final series is if he can't get the shot off, he's taking like one or two dribbles and making a read, whether that's an open look from three or is it a guy cutting, but he's making better reads off the ball. And you wonder what's going to happen. Like if he would ever become a Memphis Grizzly, they play on him. He can't get the shot off, but one, two, Jaron Jackson Jr. In the corner splash. It's just mesmerizing to think about thinking if Memphis can just run on Duncan. 
<laughs> It'd be glorious. I, I kind of, I've already, I told Joe about this. I'm like, man, I think this is going to be to me what the Chandler Parsons uh, free agency train was for you. Because I remember like the first time I ever like knew of Joe and his work on GBB, it was his uh, Chandler Parsons piece where he kind of likened it to uh, always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. And yeah. I really, I really liked that piece because I, I had Chandler Parsons as a top free agent target at the time when I started writing over at Bill Street Bears. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I want to lead that train, Nate, and you're, you're my vice president for that train. Yeah, yeah. We've been on that train for a while here now. And the thing, the area where I want to see Duncan Robinson grow the most as a basketball player is that he hasn't shown much in the way of being a secondary creator as far as having ball handling in his bag. He's still been more or less just a spot-up shooter, even though um, it's no hyperbole to say you're going to make fun of me that he was one of the greatest spot-up shooters in NBA history this year. His shooting, his three-point shooting was on par with any season that Klay Thompson has had in the NBA, shooting the ball from beyond the arc. And they defend him like teams do Klay Thompson. They're face-guarding him. There are two guys that are coming off the curls coming off the off-ball screens to make sure that he can't get a clean look. But I want to see him in a Memphis uniform, like you said, taking those one to two dribble reads that will be given to him. But just imagine we have a version of Duncan Robinson in Memphis who is already creating this awesome floor spacing, which along with Jaron Jackson on the court will just create – phenomenal driving lanes for John Morant, among others, to get to the basket. But just imagine if he's able to actually attack those closeouts in a Memphis Grizzlies uniform with the spacing that he, Jaron Jackson, and hopefully other shooters that the Grizzlies will have on that team. Dylan Brooks may still be here, but they'll have other assets to add, I'm sure. Just think about what he can do if he develops that skill set of his offensive game. Right, and... We'll obviously get to more of this closer to when it's ever going to happen, but we kind of come up with this theory here and this push for Duncan Robinson to become a Memphis Grizzly because Miami, and as even the Ringers Kevin O'Connor wrote today, Wednesday, as we're recording this podcast, Miami is going to be a star hunter as probably about next offseason when Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to enter unrestricted free agency. I mean, you still have guys like, Kawhi and that could enter unrestricted free agency. They're going to make plays for Beal. They've been pegged to him for a while now. Um, the list can go on and on. They just had that flex, even though they don't have as much of that draft capital right now, at least they have guys like Adebayo and Hero and Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, as well as bigger contracts that can make the salaries match, such as Kelly Olenek and Andre Gudala, where they can make a splash. And if that splash comes as a free agency instead of a trade, then Miami is going to have to make some decisions because in that summer, they will have Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, and Kendrick Nunn all on restricted free agency. And for the Grizzlies in particular, the Duncan Robinson fit is perfect. And the Grizzlies would have a shot to at least put Miami in an uncomfortable situation to where they got to say, okay, are they going to match it or are we just going to have to let this 44% three-point shooter walk for nothing? So, he be, And he's good enough to be, especially with another year of development. Granted, he's no spring chicken. He's 26 years old right now. He's an older 
well, he's not a rookie technically. Uh, last year was technically his first season, but um, he's good enough to be the crown jewel out of that uh, 2021 free agency class for Memphis. So going with what you're saying about uh, creating a poison pill contract uh, such that the Heat will not feel comfortable matching that contract, especially when they're pursuing Giannis Antetokounmpo or whoever else. There are several stars, uh, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, all those people will be available in the 2021 free agency class. Obviously, LeBron's not leaving, but there are other top-tier guys that they could target during that time. But the Grizzlies should feel comfortable making a poison pill bid of sorts for Duncan because he is good enough to be the Grizzlies crown jewel out of that free agency class. Um, They may have some ambitions even higher than him during that time, but if the Grizzlies walked away in 2021 with only Duncan Robinson, then that would be perfectly fine with me. Yep. Duncan Robinson, uh, their own first round pick, whatever happens with Utah could be another one. Yeah. Uh, in a climate, he moves, he moves in silence. So we never know if another pick or another young player to complement this young core is coming along the way. But mm-hmm. that's exciting. And you mentioned higher ambitions, and we have seen that within Grizz Nation, especially over this pandemic, when it comes to trying to make that big splashy trade the names that people usually say are like Buddy Heald, Zach Levine, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal. But let's be honest, three out of those four guys, I'm mainly talking about Levine, Beal, and Booker, they aren't moving unless they say something. And because those guys are the best players in their teams and they're really the only sign of hope for those teams in particular, or not the only source. I mean, Phoenix has DeAndre Ayton too, and, Mikhail Bridges and a few other young players. And then the Bulls have other young players as well that can grow next to Levine. But they're the primary sources of hope and production for each of those teams. They're not going to be moved from those teams unless that player says, hey, get me out of here. And another player that's kind of made the rounds into Grizzlies Twitter recently and kind of fits into that description of that splashy trade, that that wing that can complement Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, has been Indiana's Victor Oladipo, who the Athletic, I believe, reported that he and Miles Turner have, or Miles Turner's to a lesser extent, but Victor Oladipo would like to get traded this offseason. And people are already going to say, man, the Grizzlies should trade for Victor Oladipo. He's an all-star. He just has that name recognition. No. And I saw not. you had a tweet where you're, you're all out on it, and I just want to – Hear your thoughts on that. I don't even necessarily disagree with you. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Now, the conversation started off, you know, with Devin Booker, Zach Levine a couple of months ago, and Devin Booker's not leaving Phoenix. Phoenix is trending in a very positive direction. Who knows what they look like next year, but they have a lot of momentum on their side. Zach Levine is not going to ask out of top market Chicago now that Billy Donovan is there. We were betting on um, bo- – uh, Gosh, I can't even think of his name. Jim Boyle, is that right? Who? Who, is the, who did the Bulls just fire? That's going to drive me absolutely crazy. Boylan. Oh, Jim Boylan. Yeah, yeah. Boylan. yeah, that's what it was. But um, Levine's not asking out of there. So Victor Oladipo kind of ends up being the bronze prize for the Grizzlies to make as a priority in a trade. 
and it's stupid. It absolutely shouldn't happen under any circumstances. And I don't even know what deal the Grizzlies would even be willing to make to make that happen. I would maybe consider sending out Justice Winslow with other assets just because of Winslow's own um, injury history going into this season. But Victor Oladipo, um, two seasons ago, suffered a ruptured quad. Um, Here are some players that suffered a ruptured quad in their NBA careers. DeMarcus Cousins, Tony Parker, Charles Barkley. You know what they all had in common? They were all all nowhere near the same again after having that happen to them. Victor Oladipo ruptured his quad. He was already playing hurt even before it happened, which speaks very positively of his competitiveness and character that he wanted to be on the court in the first place. But his production was already trending downward from his career season three years ago when he averaged 23-5-5 along with two-and-a-half steals. He was a max-worthy player that year. But his production started to trend downward. He was playing hurt. And then he ruptures his quad. He came back this past season. He averaged 14 points a game, was very inefficient. Victor Oladipo is never going to be the player that he was during his one elite season for the Indiana Pacers. And frankly, even before the ruptured quad, I think it was a question about whether that level of success was sustainable for him going forward in his career. He had obviously taken a leap from Oklahoma City to Indiana, but was he really going to continue to play at that level? That was in question to me. But whether that was true or not, he is never going to return to that level. And there are plenty of historical examples that you could point out that you just can't turn to 100%, even in this modern medical age of all the technology they have, you, for the most part, can't be what you were again after an injury like that. So should the Grizzlies be trying to send out Brandon Clark or the Utah first-round pick or the Golden State first-round pick or their own 2021 pick as an attempt to bring Victor Oladipo to be your third star? No. Because you don't want Victor Oladipo at this stage of his career, considering what he's gone through, to be the third star on your basketball team. It's simple. Oh, I agree. And I think to make salaries work and all that, um, I've seen, you know, Joe, among others, Sean Coleman, and kind of peg Gorgie Dang, $17 million expiring as a trade asset to get somebody like a, a Buddy Hield or Victor Oladipo, but I don't know how much that if that's gonna work. I mean, we mentioned Justice Winslow, but you mentioned him, but I, I don't know necessarily. I think Victor Oladipo is just as much of a health risk as Winslow for sure. I want to I want to let the people hear your spewing hot take you sent me about Victor Oladipo when I brought up this topic to you. I just want to make sure Justin Lewis is listening so we can. Oh yeah. yeah heart so, attack. All right. And I mean, this is not really that much of a hot take. If you just look at his production over the 20 or so games that he played this year, but I cannot say with any degree of certainty that this current iteration of Victor Oladipo is better than Dylan Brooks. Think about it. He cannot, he did not shoot the ball well from three. And even I think his career best from beyond the arc is 35%. It's not like he's ever been a sniper from out there. And in his career season from three years ago, I think he shot 33% on a decent volume, granted, but he's never been great in that way. His athleticism is never going to be quite what it was, again, because of the ruptured quad. Um, 
probably give him the edge defensively, but can you say definitively, considering that Dylan Brooks put up better numbers than Victor Oladipo did this year, that Oladipo will absolutely be a significantly better player going forward? I can't. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not really so much me speaking so highly of Dylan Brooks, even though I have before, and he had a very good season this year, and he's going to play a good role for the franchise going forward. It's just – I look at this guy who came back from something so terrible for his body and his game was already predicated a lot on quickness and explosiveness. And you take a good chunk of that away due to the injury and it has severe implications for the rest of his long-term career. It's unfortunate, but that's just the reality of it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, it kind of looked like he was finding a little something in the playoffs, I don't necessarily know what that something was, but he averaged a little under 18 points and shot 36% from three. I mean, he also finished, He also shot as a whole 39% on 14 attempts. He wasn't much of a playmaker. Uh, he averaged two steals a game. I mean, also, too, that, that Pacers team got waxed by Miami. In the post, they were not. They were not at all prepared for that matchup and anywhere. Yeah, that was more so because they didn't have Demonis Sabonis and yeah. anything. And in a fully healthy uh, Victor Oladipo, but I think my big concern is um, for one, he's going to want a max contract in twenty twenty one. So if you don't, if let's say he plays and he's just not up to that value maybe in terms of fit or production. Then you just gave away assets for for a guy that's one, an injury risk and two, a flight risk. Um, Another thing I, I can't remember the whole specifics behind it. I think a lot of it was like money. It's like something with his contract was maybe tied into it, but his little to play or to not play with the bubble I remember that was kind of a dilemma. I don't know if you – I might be – No, I remember, and I think it was just he didn't want to go out and risk his body for an organization that he didn't have any interest in playing for anymore. I think he went out there and played in the bubble just more so for himself to show other teams that he's still um, a borderline star in the league. Right. And also, too, I saw a, a tweet a couple of days ago that kind of scared the hell out of me where somebody said that the Victor Oladipo situation could be a lot similar to the Isaiah Thomas situation that's kind of developed over the past five years where he just never looks the same. His value plummets. I remember when Isaiah Thomas, he was, he got like top five MVP votes, but also too, like people were talking about like how maybe himself actually was one expecting like, the trucks to back up for him in terms of like how much money he's expecting in free agency. And don't get it twisted. Danny Ainge royally screwed over Isaiah Thomas. He encouraged him to play hurt in that playoffs, and it tanked his value, not just for that coming offseason, for the rest of his career. Um, Going on the tangent about Isaiah, I saw a tweet a couple days ago that he supposedly just had another hip procedure that's supposed to 100% fix him and restore him to the level that he was. Um, Drawing the comparison between Oladipo and Isaiah, Isaiah was a very unique case. Like if you get if a five eight point guard gets a critical lower body injury, that's a little bit different than it is for a six five shooting guard. Um, even if Oladipo's game is predicated on athleticism to a good degree, but um, 
Oladipo being the flight risk isn't really a primary concern for me because, you know, if he comes in and he averages 15 points a game on 40% shooting, he can, of course, go wherever he wants. And you don't want to give up assets, like you said, for somebody who will be gone in a year. But at the same time, nobody is going to be giving him the money that he wants right now. If he comes in and has a similar season to what he had this past year, or if he simply doesn't reach the same level of success that he did several years ago, the New York Knicks are the only team that comes to mind that just say, hey, that's a name right there. So let's throw some money at that name and let's bring them to the Big Apple. Spike Lee is going to be so proud of us. But um, I cannot see any legitimate team coming along after he has a similar season to what he just had and throwing a max deal at him. And if, and if he is great, if he does have a phenomenal season, he returns to his previous form. I don't see this happening, but he averages 22 points, five rebounds, five assists while shooting 45% for the field. Then you, as Zachary Kleiman, have to take a look at that and say, okay, he's a part of the core going forward with John Jaron, and you can pay him then. That's not going to happen. They're not going to trade for him, so it's a stupid discussion. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. he doesn't necessarily fit with the timeline. He's, he's 28 years old. Yeah, 28 years old and injury history. And also, I kind of put it this way, and this is like my stance, whether it's Victor Oladipo or Buddy Heald, really those two guys. If you are if you might decide to make the, tr- the splashy trade this offseason or maybe even next offseason, it's not one of those things to where you're trading to become a title contender. With that, you're trading to become a middling playoff. Yeah, a middling playoff today. Maybe a six. Like you're fighting for the six seed, but a playoff spot's not even guaranteed. Yeah, uh, this isn't like the Utah situation for Mike for uh, with the Mike Conley trade, where they saw an opening and they were like, "Okay, let's go trade for an all-star caliber point guard to have next to Donovan Mitchell." That's also played in these big moment playoff games. It's not the same thing. Yeah, and. I've always I've kind of developed this understanding and thinking unless a good deal comes around where you can maybe heist, you know, like a buddy healed for Gorgie Dang and uh I'm trying to think of another guy because you can't sign and tra- I would say if you can sign and trade Melton in there you could. Let's say if it was like Gorgie Dang, Kyle Anderson in two seconds for Buddy Healed. I would well, I like, that. yeah, I do it in a heartbeat. That's yeah. the perfect deal becomes available to you. Um, to, uh, I think that's I would, I would drive them to the airport for that deal. Yeah, exactly. You no, know, I'd like put him in the rocket ship myself and press the button, but <laughs> um, the Kings wouldn't do that trade because they just brought Alvin Gentry onto their coaching staff. And I think Alvin Gentry would have a stroke the first time he saw Kyle Anderson out on the court. <laughs> that, that's true. But, <laughs> Fast-paced. But, no, I I hear what you're saying about looking for the right deal. But, ultimately, short of anything truly extraordinary happening, that type of deal is not going to present itself at the Grizzlies. And it's all about where your priorities are. 
I'm a little bit more optimistic about the Grizzlies going into next season than you and most people are. Like, I think there's a real chance they can make the playoffs. There's definitely a universe where John Morant takes another step and becomes a generational talent in year two. There's also a chance that Jaron Jackson spends a lot of time in the gym off the injury. He starts to put those flashes that he showed in the Orlando bubble and makes it in a, a consistent improvement in his game. And I could see them elevating the Grizzlies at the seven for eight spot in the West. I could see that happening. That's not what they need to be aiming for necessarily this coming season. It's about growing, improving, and competing no matter where that takes you into the standings. And you don't make a deal that's going to vault you into the sixth or seventh seed in the West. That's not where your priority should be right now. You're focused on building, improving, and getting better. And you have the draft picks and the assets and eventually the cap space here in the future to be able to put that all together and potentially build a title contender. So don't cause yourself to trip in the process of doing that by trying to have a little bit more short-term success than you would have had otherwise. Yeah, I agree. And also, too, another kind of point that I've kind of developed with this logic is why not go and see what you can get tangibly from the picks that you have in your disposal? Exactly. Not not even necessarily the Utah pick or the Golden State pick. Honestly, I'm in the boat where I would keep you I would actually keep both because I can see the I can see it kind of developing like a Boston Celtics situation where you're looking at two very high lottery picks. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that fall within its protections and stuff, but um, you have got you can draft players that not only fit what you're trying to do, like you can end up drafting that perfect wing that you're wanting next to John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. with like maybe the 12th to 17th pick or that player can outplay the whole value of a future first round pick that gets thrown in these trade deals um i'm like for example dylan brooks or a second round draft pick you put you choose dylan brooks but also dylan brooks was a second round draft pick brandon clark or the 23rd pick you obviously choose brandon clark but you were able to get him using that 23rd draft pick plus also an extra asset to move up so why not try to keep building towards that trade package by making the most of the picks that you already have and turning it into tangible goods that can also benefit your team right now? Yeah, and you definitely can do that for sure. But there's also the power of the assets that they have. The 2021 NBA draft is projected as of right now to be the first double draft in which the one-and-done rule will be gone. Is it 2022? Uh, I think they said 2022 or 2023. Okay, but anyway, 2023. The 2021 draft, regardless, right now is projected to be much cheaper than either the 2020 or the 2019 draft were. And you're not at a place at the Boston Celtics place that Danny Ainge has placed that franchise into where you've got more draft picks and assets than you know what to do with. And you don't need at this point to just be drafting players. You've got a chance to take a swing for the fences with two, six, seven, six, eight wings that you can place next to John Jaron, potentially 
to, uh, to depending on what happens with Utah over the coming season. But I am very much patient right now. I'm very much on team patience where I can enjoy watching these go guys go out, play, compete. And I don't need to see all these short-term deals necessarily where you could be sacrificing good quality players for year to come for the hope of something greater down the road. I like the assets they have, and I would rather see them use those assets at the appointed time in the NBA draft to build the team that they're looking to build. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And regardless, this is a position that, honestly, the team's not really used to, especially at least in the age of cap space, flexibility, asset accumulation. Because this really didn't skyrocket this whole conversation regarding those topics. didn't really skyrocket until that Boston Celtics-Brooklyn Nets trade back in 2013. And I don't think it was like the fact of the matter that GMs weren't looking to accumulate those types of assets. I just don't think anyone had ever been stupid enough to give up that many assets for one last-ditch, poorly ill-conceived chance at a title run. So one GM stupidity put another GM and Danny Ainge in a totally unprecedented situation. Well, also too, I, I'm I meant more not necessarily in terms of like GMs or NBA teams or anything. I'm talking about more like media driven, mm-hmm. not at least, not national media. But that is just like oh, just trade this guy to the Lakers or get this guy to the Knicks. Not that no, I'm, like I mean. Like there's more of an open dialogue around asset accumulation within rebuilds and uh, making sure you're capitalizing on your assets and stuff like that. And uh, the G and G era, I would say, is the opposite. They got their four guys, but it kind of just felt like a, a revolving door of their supporting cast, usually with um, veteran minimum veteran minimum guys um, making splashy trades for guys like Jeff Green or. Splashy trades by make, getting rid of Rudy Gay, signing Parsons and Barnes. And and you know what's funny? There's this narrative, and you'll see Matt Moore on Twitter talk about this a lot, that if you're a small market franchise in the NBA, you have to hit it out of the park almost every single time. You have to do everything right in order to have a true title contender and finally win an NBA championship as a small market. And you can look at the Milwaukee Bucks as an example – They chose not to retain Malcolm Brogdon in free agency this past year, and maybe he would have been the difference. They could have used another primary slash secondary playmaker. Well, he really developed into a primary playmaker this year. They could have used a true facilitator on the court against the Miami Heat when the Heat were locking down on Giannis the way that they were. Maybe he could have been the difference, and that difference could be why Giannis ends up leaving to go to Miami in 2021. And I agree with that for the most part. The small markets have to do almost everything right but that was not true for the grit and grind era of Memphis Grizzlies they did so many things wrong in which they had just done some of them right they could have been a true title contender they could have won an NBA championship the 2000 uh, 2010 NBA draft which has been talked about ad nauseum at this point there's nothing more to be say about it but they literally failed to capitalize on any first round picks I want to say gosh I can't remember who it was off the top of my head but as of the time that I wrote the article in the summer of 2018 um, the last first round pick that they had retained past the rookie contract I don't remember who it was but I think it was a player from 2007 <laughs> yeah Mike Conley. 
Yeah, it was Conley. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So Mike Conley. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they absolutely, utterly failed to find any rotation players in the draft to uh, build around that core four of players that they had. And yet they always seem to be knocking on the door. They even made it to a Western Conference Finals. It's just like you make one good first round pick. You make one good second round pick. Um, you don't draft Wade Baldwin in 2016. Sorry, buddy. I know that hurts you to hear. It that doesn't now. hurt me anymore. <laughs> it's dead to you now. Yeah. But they blew it over and over again, did not catch any lucky breaks, and yet they were still on the precipice of title contention for many years. And it's just like they were lucky. They were lucky to do as well as they did considering all the mistakes that they made during that era. Yeah, like people always point to the uh, the the uh, wow the the beat draft. It's really tricky saying the and then the beat. Yeah, um, the beat. point to that draft, but I mean, like you said, even if you were to replace picking uh, Tony Roten with Draymond Green, that's an entirely different story. Or, you have a title. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have a title, or you replace drafting. Jordan Adams with Rodney Hood. And if you want to get really fun, I replace Jarnell Stokes with Jokic. That that one, honestly, I think that one pains me more than the Wade Baldwin one. Because they were seriously considering him. It wasn't just some random Serbian that they didn't like bother to look at or scout. No, they were seriously considering picking him with that pick. (laughs) But, um, yeah, but I think one thing that with this whole conversation here is there is value in asset accumulation. There's value in holding on to your assets. And there's also value in staying patient because like Nate said, there, like there is a legitimate theory that when you're a small market team, you got to hit out of the park every chance you get. And because it can mess it up and it can end up causing a ripple fetch that ends up clicking the reset button as we're seeing right now. Nate said that Malcolm Brogdon move to not bring him back that can cost them Giannis onto the Kumpo. Um, trying to the, technically the Chandler Parsons signing cost the Grizzlies the core four era. Uh, the Kimball Walker or mismanaging Kimball Walker all those years. I mean, he was the fifth or sixth highest paid player on his team, and they were still mediocre. That yeah. cost that cost some Kimball Walker. And sure. Charlotte organization was an absolute disgrace that they could not build anything better around him when they had the opportunity to do so. That was the most frustrating organization to watch. For sure. And I think it just goes to show what we're trying to say here is making that hasty decision now because you suddenly have – granted, we, we've talked about for lengthy periods over the past year how much assets the Grizzlies have and how – they sit in a great position here. That doesn't mean I want them to make the trade now because I think that trade can ultimately kind of run the rebuild off its course a little bit. And I think there's just, unless somehow you can get a guy like Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Zach Levine bought in, but I don't see that happening within the next year or anything. There's a beauty in being patient and doing nothing. You know which organization wish they had learned that lesson uh, sooner rather than later? Hmm. Philadelphia 76ers. When I you agree. start 
when you start to get too cute, when you start to try to make these extra moves to try to supplement your core that are antithetical to rebuilding in a normal fashion, this is what the situation you get. You still have two stars in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and this isn't even about the process. You could have ended the process, um, moved off of Sam Hinkie, and continued building the team in a very normal developmental fashion, but they got too cute. They tried to make too many different moves at the margins, and now they're placed in a position where they still have their two stars in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but they have a a plethora of star caliber, borderline star players that don't fit with that current group going forward. Al Horford, Tobias Harris is two off the top of your head right there. Josh Richardson isn't a good fit with them. He's not a strong enough outside shooter. The Grizzlies don't want to be in that situation. They want to be patient. They want to build a very normal developmental way and not rush things the way the 76ers did because now the 76ers, they have Doc Rivers, but they're AWOL. They don't have a very clear path forward to becoming the title contending team that many people thought they were going to be a couple of years ago. Right. I I think the ideal scenario, and just my thoughts wrap up the show, is you would want it to be kind of similar to Toronto because Toronto, they – they got two stars and DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, but they also were hitting the mark on their draft picks and the development of them, especially with uh, their G League, the Raptors 905, with guys like Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Norman Powell, Fred Van Fleet. They just kept knocking it out of the park consistently. And they actually built up the capital both tangibly and with their draft picks to make trades for both Kawhi Leonard and Mark Gasol and it won them a title. And they were very, they're patient and competitive. I mean, they weren't making hasty decisions really when they were, you know, winning 50 to 55 games and sitting at the top of the East and they found a chance with Kawhi Leonard. They found a chance with Mark Gasol and they have a title. And that's what I want from Memphis. Yeah, and I think Toronto is very fortunate that history is going to remember them the way they do in that because of Kawhi's leaner that bounces on the rim five times at the end of uh, game seven doesn't go in. Maybe we're having a drastically different conversation about that trade and the long-term consequences it had for Toronto. But – The point is the Grizzlies are playing with house money. They can do pretty much just about whatever they want to do with their assets going forward. And I think you and I are on on the same uh, plane here that we want to see them be patient with that. We want to see those assets develop naturally, um, probably draft those players and see what they can become. And then if you draft well, like the Toronto Raptors did, if you get good prospects who do fit well against John Jaron and they show that they are good players to the rest of the league, then you have an opportunity to cash in those assets, to cash in those young players, to go get a big fish, to go get a bona fide third star to put next to John Jaron if one of those draft picks you think are not going to be that. The point is, they can choose. They have plenty of leeway to work with here. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's going to all pay off when Donovan Mitchell is tired of being in Utah. <laughs> the Mormons are going to get to him, and the racism's going to make him run away. I'm just kidding. I love the people of Utah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, uh, you have anything else for today's show? 
Um, I don't think so. Just just since we mentioned Utah, I think the funniest tweet that anybody ever sent me was a Utah fan accusing me of reading Breitbart. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, all right, Nate, plug your stuff in. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're reading the blog at grizzlybearblues.com and make sure you're reading up on our draft profiles and our free agency profiles on the blog. Uh, we picked some of the guys that we've seen trend around that 35 to 60 mark with the draft boards across, whether it's the Ringer, the Athletic, ESPN, CBS Sports. And we've also are doing free agency agency profiles on some guys that national media have pegged as potential external targets for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Dan LaRoe from The Athletic and uh, Bobby Marks from ESPN. So make sure you're checking those out. Vote on our Pulse of Grizz Nation polls because we want to see what you would think about any of those potential prospects. And make sure you're listening to the GBB Live, Core 4 Podcast, 3ND Podcast, and 75 Podcast. The Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megafan, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. With that, that's it. 